Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I'm so glad to be back here again, and we, had, we did have such a good weekend. I know, like, how many of you guys were not with us this weekend? Um, good, about half, half and half, right? That's, and so I know that question's been asked twice already. I had my back when the, to you guys when the question was asked, and I didn't want to go like that. But, uh, so it's helpful to know because you've already heard a bunch of times, hey, we had a great weekend, we had a great weekend. And I just want to say we're going to have a great morning as well. Um, because we've just got time together and the Lord's already here. He beat us here this morning. And I think he's staying afterwards too. He's gonna be back by the book table and also back in the greener and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, but anyway, we really, you know, Polly and I do a bit of travel here and there and then we do some stuff at home. Joel mentioned Think Differently Academy. That's not just a place to train coaches and counselors, but it's also a place to provide resources for people who are looking for help for themselves. And so if you wanna pick that card up or ask somebody about it, we try to do everything we can. We have a counseling center. We're in the process of developing a counseling network, Polly and I, and then, but we also know that the kind of, when people are asking for what we are offering, we wanna make sure that there's as many ways to make it available both here and on the other side of the planet if that's where it's being asked for. And so, um, anyway, glad to be here. Glad to have you guys here, both those who are with us all weekend and those who are going to be with us this morning and go, what was this all about? I'm, I'm gonna start with just kind of a statement of what I wanna do with us together this morning. Then I'm gonna pray, and then we'll kind of march through this process that I feel like the Lord's given me for our time. He's given me about an hour and a half worth of stuff to say in 26 minutes on the clock, so you guys need to listen super fast this morning. I'll just speak normally, but you guys listen super fast and all will be well by the time we're done. So um, what I wanna do is we took some time both Friday and yesterday to take people on a tour of their own brain. And hopefully what they found there was that the renewing of the mind was sometimes a very practical thing, that the transformation available to us isn't some mystery that we've got to gut it out until things are finally better. But there's just a way that we can understand the function of our own being that makes it a little bit easier to go, oh, like I can be renewed if I submit my mind to God? Well, we spent some time over the last two days talking about the brain. Today what I want to do is take us all on a tour of the mind, and I know those two things sound like the same, but the brain is an organ, the mind is a process. Think about it like your phone, right? This is a physical phone, but it's got an op operating system. So the brain is the phone, and the mind is the operating system. The part of us that thinks is not just a brain. Our whole being thinks. I don't know if you know this, but you've got a brain right here, and you've got a brain down here. And so there's a whole cluster of neurons that's connected to your heart that's not just about making sure your heart doesn't forget, but we actually think with our heart. And we also think with our guts. We also think with our fingers and toes, but we're not probably gonna get that far into our extremities today. Anyway, I wanna take you on a tour of your own mind, but specifically, I wanna take you on a tour of your mind as we think about this book. And so I think what we're gonna do today, what I really hope today is you can't wait to go home and read. And I'm, that's not normally my thing, is it, Polly? I mean, normally I'm not like, go read your Bible. I want, you, I want your Bible to read you. I want you to hear God's voice. But I'm not normally a go, but what I hope you do is go, that's in there? 
And even if you've read it cover to cover 17 times, I still hope you go, that's in there? So that, I want you, I want you to be thirsty and hungry by the time we're done. I know I am already. So, um, and the reason I want to do that, I know I said I'd pray, I'm not going to forget that. But the reason I want to do that, I'm going to take a moment to get serious because because there's some serious things going on in the world. Is that, is that time correct? No. Oh, okay, beautiful. <laughs> I'm so far behind already. Um, listen, you guys know we live in an incredibly unusual time in human history, right? There are ways that this time, times like this have never been before, and there are ways that this time has happened over and again in the unfolding of human history. But the global nature of what's happening right now in the world, I think, is a unique thing because it used to be that things happened in corners of the world, and the shift that's going on around us is really a global thing. And I think we're headed into some incredibly interesting and um, exciting, and if you're not careful, scary times. And it'll be scary if we don't understand a couple different things. Here's, here's the thing that I'm watching right now. When it comes to this book, I, th I think there's kind of a ditch on either side, right? There's a ditch where people go, you know what? It's an ancient manuscript. It's a document that was written by people who had no idea the kind of scientific discoveries we'd have and the understanding of human nature. And it's a book written by kind of ancient men in ancient times who don't know about modern thinking. And let's just throw it all out and just assume the whole book is kind of useless. There's a whole argument and sometimes that arguments even among people claiming to be believers. Like that concerns me a great deal. But there's also an argument over here that concerns me just as much. And that argument is this. The words in there are so crucial. Marry yourself to the words, even if they are cruel and harsh the way that we use them. And we're so gonna marry ourselves to the language of scripture that we miss the ideas of scripture and we really miss the story of scripture. And the words can be so cruel to people if we divorce the words from the story. And so people throw it out by misusing it or they throw it out by no longer using it. And what I wanna do is I wanna think about thinking in a way and then think about how we think about this book so that by the time we're done, we're like, oh, it's not only written by ancient people, who didn't understand modern times, but it's written by a God who understood the human nature and the unfolding of a story that he wrote from the beginning of time. See, here's the thing. I, I've heard it said that governments conquer with armies, but rule with stories. Now think about that. The reason that's effective, the reason it's effective to rule humans with stories is because it's written into our DNA to live out a story. It's a part of our created nature that story doesn't just unfold around us, it unfolds in us and through us. And so tell a story that's off path, tell a story that's inaccurate, and humans who can't think differently might follow that story as if it's true. But you see, there is a story that's been unfolding since before the beginning of humankind. And it was written both for and about humankind. And when we get that story kind of recognizing in our hearts what that story is really about and how to apprehend that story, 
then we can put our feet on a path that no matter what's happening to the people and the planet around us, no matter what's happening across the ocean or across the street, no matter what flag is flying in what country and who's the president or who's the ruler of what country, if our feet are on the path of that story, nothing can be shaken. That's why I want us to think differently about the scripture this morning. Because that story that's unfolding is always going to unfold and we can either kind of veer off to one side or the other or we can go, oh, there's a way to think about this thing that leads to life. That's what I want us to do today. So we should probably pray. All right. So Father, um, it would be fairly easy for us to fall to one side or the other of this story. Not natural, but easy. It's not natural because naturally the story is about us. It would be easy because of the unfolding nature of that story and the place we are. We're somewhere between chapter one and chapter 32. And in the middle of the story, it would be easy for us to get lost. So this morning, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Give to us that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we could see and know the power, the beauty, the goodness, the truth that is embedded in your son and implanted in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I wanna start with Isaiah 55. Um, I may, yeah, let's just open it up and take a look. I want to start with Isaiah 55. Look, I have a paper Bible. Also brought this one, but um, probably didn't bring this one to use. Maybe I did. Um, <clears throat> I want to start with Isaiah 55 and just read to you verses eight and nine, which may be familiar to many of you. It says this, for my thoughts, of course, Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God himself. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It sounds so like unattainable, right? It sounds like he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm higher than you and you guys are small and low down here. And there's a degree to which Isaiah is just trying to encourage us to say, hey, the way that the human race is currently thinking at this moment in Isaiah 55, God stands and says, my thoughts are higher than that. And my ways are higher than that. And a part of us goes, Woe is us, there is no hope for us. For we are but simple men. <laughs> to which I would respond and say, there's no such thing as a simple person. Every mind in this room is brilliant. People say to me sometimes, I don't know how you think that way, Bob. I'm just a simple man. I'm like, no such thing. Everyone in this room is created in the image of God. And what that means is that even though your mind may be different than mine, and even though your educational experience may have told you that you weren't brilliant, let me just say education isn't always the best measure of a mind. Sometimes the most brilliant minds don't fit into the machinery made by human beings to educate that mind because their mind thinks differently. See, I mean, he's trying to go out there and think new things for himself. Or he doesn't want to hear what I have to say because he's got thoughts of his own and he should be free to have them, right? 
But, but here's what I want you to hear is that every one of our minds is made in the image of God. And so if you've been told or been implied by the educational system or the world around you that you're not brilliant, then you've been lied to. The human mind, the human brain is an incredible organ, but the human mind is even more incredible. And if we read Isaiah 55 as simply an Old Testament passage and we don't marry it to 1 Corinthians 2, what we're gonna miss is that something has happened to the redeemed mind. Something's available to the human mind that makes Isaiah 55 a great starting point, but it's not the end of the story. It's just a description of what's going on in the middle of the story. See, Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter two, he tells us this, he says, we're gonna share with you great mysteries. And there's one particular mystery. The man, if we, if the, even if the powers of darkness understood this mystery, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Like there's a mystery that like, God fooled the devil. Right? He fooled the devil into crucifying Jesus. But then he goes on to say, but there's some stuff we need to talk about that the human mind can comprehend. There's some stuff we need to talk about that's wisdom from God and that wisdom from God can't be understood simply by a carnal mind. Now, in a couple minutes, we'll talk about specifically what that may mean by carnal mind. Sometimes we hear the word carnal and it's kind of an old King Jamesy word, even though this is a new American standard. It's an, but it doesn't mean sinful mind. It just means a, a material mind, a mind that doesn't see the spiritual realm. It just, you know, carnal, here's, here's the best way to understand carnal. Like, you can get chili con carnal. <laughs> and it's just chili with meat. So carnal just means it's the, the meat, it's the physicality of it. <laughs> That'll super help you someday, I'm sure. What's the carnal thing again? You know, anyway. But the whole idea is it's, it's the, the physical part of us. And the physical mind alone won't grasp the mysteries of the kingdom, but that doesn't mean they're ungraspable. It simply means they have to, Paul goes on to say, spiritual things have to be spiritually understood. Now, you guys just finished watching this band up here. Aren't they amazing? Yeah. Like, and how many of you guys have never played a musical instrument in your life? Okay, like only th three or four of you, that's amazing. Most people who've never played a musical instrument in your life think that it's magic. It's like, how do they do that? How do they put their fingers this way or put their fingers or do this with sticks? I mean, how do they do that? It's magic. And while there may be a certain propensity they have inwardly, it all can be learned. And in the same way, we can learn to think in a different way. Some people look and go, well, he's just smart. And it's like, well, maybe you just have a different way of seeing things because everyone in this row does and everyone in that row does. And every single person has a different way of seeing. In fact, there's an old saying that says, you think you see the world as it is, but you really see the world as you are. In other words, each of us brings a different way of seeing to the world. And part of what Paul's after here is there is a way of seeing that will open up the wisdom of God to us. And these people over here in this ditch that have kind of fallen into this, like every word of scripture has to be applied mercilessly. The people who've come over here don't, haven't really allowed the story to unfold inside their hearts. And so what I wanna do is I wanna talk about how to, remember what Isaiah said? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we think, oh, they're so unattainable. But what if higher just means not lower? 
What if this step is higher than that step? This step is higher and this step is even higher than that. And what if we can start thinking differently about thinking in such a way that we can understand that we can look at the pages of this book at at least three different levels that will begin to open up things in the book that have been in front of you all along and you may have either missed them or you saw them but missed something else. And you could go home and open it this morning and go, whoa, or open it right now. So here's what I want you to hear. Your mind, remember what I said, not just your brain, but your mind, part of the design of the human mind is to organize your world without you taking a lot of time to figure it out. In fact, when an infant is born, you know why they sleep so much? Because when an infant is born, just like you and I, they're being assaulted with 11 million bits of data per second. 11 million bits of data per second. I'm tired just thinking about it. They're tired, they open their eyes for like 30 minutes, and 11 million bits of data hits them every second of that 30 minutes. They're like, oh, that's so hard. And they're back asleep. <laughs> but during that 30 minutes, their mind, without asking their permission, their mind is starting to organize their world. And so it's taking certain things and gathering them together in categories and taking certain things and just generalizing them in a way that, and so it's kind of organizing things so that there's small things, medium things, and big things so that the mind can not work at 11 million bits, but rather kind of sort it down to the 126 bits that all of us can process in every given second. Whew, 126 bits, that sounds like a lot, but that's part of how brilliant your mind is. The first part of your life, your mind organized those 11 million down into 126, and now we live perceiving 126 bits of data per second. That means that 10,999,000, I'm not gonna do it. If you were gonna be impressed, you should have been, but I can't do it. But that means there's at least 10 million bits of data that we're missing every second. And we're not even talking about the spiritual realm. We're talking about just the physical world around us. Ask Polly and I, when we go shopping together, we can walk down the same aisle and we do not see the same bits of data. We just don't. We can look through a magazine. We don't see the same bits of data. We're standing right here. She probably knows what most of you are wearing and I, I don't even know if you're wearing anything. I mean, not in that way, but like, I'm more prone to know whether you thought my joke was funny or not, right? And she'll go, you mean the woman in orange? I'll go, there's a woman in orange? I don't know. But we see different things because that's the way our mind has been organizing in our whole lives. But one of the ways the mind organizes things is it starts with kind of the basic pieces of information and then it moves into kind of some ideas and strategies but in the whole time, the mind is gathering this idea that there's a grand theme, a story that's unfolding, and the mind is figuring out that story. So your mind is designed to work in those three levels. The big story, the strategies and ideas, and then down here, kind of the words and concepts. And so when we think about that, your mind, like right now, we're living in, most of you are listening to my words and going, what the heck is he talking about? And about three o'clock this afternoon, some of you go, Oh, is that what he was saying? And tomorrow sometime you go, oh, wait a minute. That's what that was about. Because in the conversation we're having, right now we're talking about some specific things that fit into a slightly bigger picture that fits into a bigger picture. And so does the scripture. Partly because our minds work that way and partly because reality works that way. So let's talk about three levels of understanding scripture. The first one is the words and ideas. 
You read a story, you read a conversation, you read the gospels and Jesus is talking to somebody and you've got a blind guy who's standing over there and goes, I thought about um, the blind Bartimaeus story when who came running up to get the book without, who, who, when you came running up to get the book, I was like, it's the story, right? You've got people here that go, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Give me the dang book. <laughs> and, and so people who are willing to do that, there's stories all throughout the gospel and actually throughout Old and New Testament. And those stories are made up of words and ideas. And those words and ideas, we read those and they matter. I was thinking about the various words of scripture that are so important and sozo is one of the most important, right? But think about this for a second. Sozo is a word that means made whole. And it fits into this idea that God is a whole, is is someone who takes broken things and makes them whole, which then fits into a grander scheme of the unfolding story of a God who turns us loose to our own, but then with the intent to make everything whole again. And all of those things fit together so that the words fit into ideas and strategies that are part of a larger story. And when you separate those three things from each other, you miss the fullness of the truth of the story. So you can sit here and we can look at Sozo and you can, one of the reasons I brought my iPhone up is my iPhone is one of my favorite Bible study guides. You can find so many things about words in the scripture. I always look at words in their original language to figure out, you know, first of all, I look at the verse in the original language to find out if it's really what it says because it's been translated some of them multiple times. And then I look at the individual words and that's this level of understanding the scripture. Jesus said, what do you want? Blind Bartimaeus says, I want to see. Those are important words. And he says, your faith has made you sozo. The words in Romans 10 says this, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be made sozo. You'll be made whole. We translate that as saved in that place. With blind Bartimaeus, we see it as healed. But it all means one thing because there's an idea Whoa, this is a dangerous message, right? There's an idea that God is a healing God and a restoring God and that God takes things that have deteriorated and pulls them back together and makes them whole again. But there's moments where he's doing that and there's a word that describes that. And that the word in this particular instance is sozo. And it's such a powerful word and it's important to pick that word apart and know the kind of all the implications of it because it's not just sozo in the name of a church in San Marcos. It's sozo, the impact of a speaking God who's made himself a man or walks among the human race. And the impact of that is he can look at a blind man or a lost person or a brokenhearted woman and can look at every one of those people and say, your faith has made you sozo. And every one of them, whatever's deteriorated about their life, he speaks it to them and their faith meets his word. And what happens is they are made whole. And whatever it is that has been broken is no longer And knowing that word is so crucial because he uses it and does it again and again. But let me tell you another word that really matters. There's another word that matters because sometimes we get it wrong. And that word is obey, right? There's a word in scripture that really can tie people in knots. And this helps us understand why understanding things only at the word level and not the story and not the paradigm level, understanding things only at the word level, we can really get in trouble. The word obey, let's... Come back down here. I'm going to get in shape with this message too. (laughs) 
The word obey, both Old and New Testament, so Hebrew and Greek, the word obey does not mean complying with the, with the decree. It doesn't mean a willful choice to go along with what you've been pulled. And yet in English, that's generally what the word obey means. So when it's translated obey, we all go, we, we should obey God because the Bible says we should. But obedience by that definition, who is it that makes the obedience happen, God or me? By that definition, I make it happen. And that means if I misunderstand the simple word obey, I feel like I'm responsible for something that God's actually up to. So what if the word obey, not what if, it actually does, but it's a great way to communicate it, right? What if the word obey, both Greek and Hebrew, actually meant to hear with the implication that the thing heard will produce an outcome? Not the hearer, but the thing heard, right? The word obey in both Hebrew and Greek doesn't mean you decide whether or not you're gonna go along with the rules. It means that you'll hear, that you will position yourself to listen with the belief that the thing heard has the power to produce an outcome. That changes everything. These light bulbs are obeying electricity, but none of them are pondering whether or not they ought to. They're simply receiving power and it's expressing itself through the light bulb. That's what the word obey means in both Old and New Testament. That word level matters. But see, we get ourselves at the word level and we read a verse that says something like this, thou shalt not be drunk with wine. And somebody goes, that's a, that's a story. Don't drink alcohol no matter what. I don't know how that is around here, but it's one I'm picking, so. But then you come back down here and somebody hears Paul say to Timothy, and Timothy, thou shalt drink some wine for thy stomach. And someone else goes, sorry, that's, anyway. <laughs> someone else decides to make a paradigm level thing out of a word that's just a statement from Paul over here and a statement from someone else over here. And we've gotta be able to distinguish because if we only interpret the scripture at the word level, we're gonna beat the crud out of each other with language. So Jesus says, your faith has made you sozo. And we can take that word and go, those words matter. And every word of scripture matters. Even the ones that have been mistranslated. It matters that we sort that stuff out and figure out what they really mean. But those words fit into some ideas and there's some important ideas in scripture. There's important ideas like we must be born again. There's some important ideas like we were made for something more than what we've understood. So the man who said your faith has made you sozo is expressing something about a God who takes broken things and makes them whole, about separated things that brings them together, about things that are incomplete and makes them complete. And we even described how this weekend, I better step up here for this one, how God is a one become two become one kind of God. That even in the physical creation he created, he had creation in heaven, and then created the heavens and the earth, and someday those two will become one again. And that one become two become one nature of God is a paradigmatic issue that's throughout the scripture that's expressed in multiple ideas and stories that sometimes we call sozo. The broken human united with the whole God is made whole. 
And in that word sozo, we see the idea that God is a restoring God, which fits into the story. And if Paul says to Timothy, you know, you should have a little wine for your stomach. And somewhere over here, we see, don't be drunk with wine. If we can think about the ideas and strategies and get our mind off of the words and onto the ideas and understand the relationship between the words and the ideas, we can go, wait, we're making rules about things that aren't really rules. And we're making doctrine out of things that aren't really doctrines. Is this making some sense here? So ideas and strategies are this mid-level right here. And when we start, the, the difficulty is sometimes, I, I really am kind of out of breath. <laughs> I should have exercised this weekend. I thought this was such a good idea. Will you guys just imagine me going up and down the steps from now on? Is that all right? No, I'm still gonna do it. I'm gonna push through. I'm gonna obey. I'm just <laughs> the ideas and strategies are super important and helpful. Natalie did a teaching this weekend on strongholds. And there's an idea and a strategy implicit in the scriptures. It's not stated directly at the word level. Some of it is. We can see in there that we are all kind of have these strongholds and that they're structures of thought and that they stand against understanding God in certain ways. But implicit in that is a broader understanding of how we might see how those structures of thought come to place. And you know, that allows us to kind of then go, what can we do about it? And take the other concepts out of scripture and combine some of these ideas and words down here. And we can put together a strategy that says, there's actually a way to help people break strongholds. We don't just have to pray till it's gone. We can actually engage both our intellect and the spirit of God. Was it you that talked about science this morning in prayer time? See, at this level here, if we really get off the words and into the idea and strategy, we become much less afraid of science. So people think because I'm a counselor that I'm a psychologist. I'm not a psychologist, but I studied psychology. And I did say at Holiday Inn Express one time. <laughs> you have to say that, right? I'm actually a marriage and family therapist, but I understand psychology at a fairly you know, decent level, because I've spent 30 years as a practicing counselor. And at that level, I understand we've learned some stuff, especially in the last two decades, we've learned some stuff about the nervous system that's been incredibly helpful in partnering with God to see the restoration of the human soul. And down here, I know whole groups of people that would say, well, it's not in the Bible, because the words EMDR, <laughs> oh, those are letters, the words EMDR aren't in the word level of scripture, but up here what we see is that the mind needs to be renewed for the transformation of our souls. And if God has given us strategies for partnering with him in the renewing of our mind, why wouldn't we? Like, let me just ask real quick. If, if you needed glasses to read the Bible, but glasses aren't in the Bible... <laughs> Would you forbid someone to wear glasses so that they could read the Bible? That'd be ridiculous, right? And if we needed some help getting our mind able to receive the kind of truth that sets us free, wouldn't we be open to that? The point is not to leave God out of it. The point isn't that we become self-sufficient, 
but rather that we recognize the strategy level that God's a, a restoring God and he gives people brilliant minds to figure out the strategies that are both earthly and spiritual and the partnership between the two. It's a big deal. See how the step up, just the step up from the word level, suddenly wisdom starts to make a little bit more sense because now we don't have to like forbid a bunch of things that might actually help people. We just, at the ideal level, we can understand. Listen, if we just understand that humans have always been designed to work in partnership with God from the very beginning when he put us on the planet said, take dominion over the creation. It's, I've got just a few minutes and I wanna stand on the top for a little while. So when we move up from the word level, to the idea and strategy level up here, we can really start to see how some of these things fit together. But man, get up here, this, suddenly you look down at those things and it's like, oh, they make so much more sense. See, these thoughts are higher than those thoughts. And these ways are higher than those ways. And the ways that we see things from up here, when we can understand the unfolding story and the paradigm level, worldview level of scripture, we're gonna to start to go, okay, okay. so when Jesus put mud on that one guy's eye but spoke to the other guy, and when he told the other guy just to pick up his mat, those weren't formulas, right? That was all part of a big story. So at, what, I, what I wanna do is take just a couple minutes to talk about some things at this level of scripture that I think just make a bunch of things make more sense. Here's the first and what I think is kind of almost the paradigm of paradigms. And it's almost not stated anywhere in here except it's everywhere from Genesis 1 through Revelation marriage supper. Because I forgot what chapter that is. <laughs> and it's this. The reality that we dwell in is very much a natural world, carnal. Remember, con carne. I told you to be helpful, right? And a spiritual world, an invisible realm where it's pulsating with the life and presence and power of God. And the marriage between those two things is the nature of the reality that we dwell in. The other thing about that paradigm level is one of these is the source, the other is the result. And the earth is not the source of the spiritual realm. It is quite the other way around. But one of the reasons we often think that way is because we started as earthlings. We started con carne. Right? We started as human con carne. And we actually started post-Genesis 3, so we started con carne sin espirito. Did I get that right, someone? Right? We started with meat, but without spirit. Boy, I butchered that. My Spanish teachers would be so mad at me. But we came into the story somewhere in the middle, and in the middle of the story, the human race was, we're physically here, but we're spiritually dead. And so what we know best is the planet Earth. We know how to manage it. We know how to progress in it. We know how to build things here. We know how to become somebody on Earth. But then you go, but there's this other realm. And Jesus stands down here and says, hey, when you're a leader, don't rule, it, rule over other people like the Gentiles do. And we go, yeah, so be humble. And he would stand up here and go, because the nature of the spiritual realm is where real authority comes from. And if you just kind of pump yourself up in the physical realm and tell other people how to be, there's zero authority in that. There's only bossiness. 
Authority comes from our connection to this realm that is the source of the material realm. See, if, and if you want to expand that paradigm a little bit, you've got these two realms that are intertwined with each other. You've got the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and the human soul is designed to be Captain America in between the two. Remember the helicopter in the building, right? Why are all the women liking that? What's, and Captain America holds with the helicopter with one hand and the building with the other hand and tries to pull the two together. The human soul is designed to stand between the two realms and be the conduit through which the spiritual realm enters the material realm, and God calls that dominion over the creation. We're not designed to clean up the material realm. We're designed to be a place where God is ushered into it and let him clean it up. We're not designed to you know, rearrange the deck chairs on this Titanic. We're designed to usher the captain back into the control room, bridge, I don't know. I don't know boats. Does anyone know boats better than me? Bridge, thank you. But do you see that what we're here for isn't that we somehow get better at earth, but that we learn enough about the spiritual realm that it can enter earth through us. And when that happens, the idea is that we can develop strategies by which we can stand in front of somebody else and say, your faith has made you sozo. Because as the spiritual realm enters the material realm, sozo happens. And do you also see how when you open this book and you only read the words, you're really missing the governance of this because the story that's underneath all of it and woven through all of it and woven into all of it, you, you can't get it from the words. You have to get it from the collectiveness of all of the words. You know, you can see a story like 2 Kings chapter six, and I'll wrap up with this. You can see a story like 2 Kings chapter six where Elijah's napping in the corner. Am I good? Time-wise, okay. Elijah's napping in the corner and he's surrounded by a king's army who hates his guts. And his servant goes and he looks out the window and he's terrified because this king hates his guts. The army's armed, as armies are. I think that's where the term army comes from, right? The army's armed. And so he's con convinced that they're gonna die. Now, here's the thing. He's so afraid, he runs over to Eliza sleeping in the corner and he says, hey, master, we're gonna die. And Elijah, I love this part of the story because it's very telling if you'll let the story unfold underneath the surface. Elijah doesn't get out of bed and look out the window. He doesn't need to see what the servant sees in order to solve the problem. Because he understands the nature of the two realms. And he is someone who's learned how to be positioned between the two. So from his position over here in the corner napping, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, go look again. And the servant goes to look again. You know what he sees? He now sees both the material realm army and he sees a spiritual realm where there's a bigger army with flaming swords and horses and things that are more armied than the first army. And all of a sudden he's at peace, which tells us something also very important about that. And this is where I'll land. We all think that Elijah's servant was afraid because of what he saw. But the reality is, he was afraid because of what he didn't see. We're governed by stories. 
And at the highest level, the story of scripture is the story of two realms married together by the human soul, overseen by a creative, sustaining God who is all for the human being. Therefore, we can rest in the corner and even if we're surrounded by armies, we can see with the eyes of our heart that there's something much more powerful that is for us than that which is against us. Let's pray. Well, I'm praying, why don't we have the ministry team come down? Father, as we always pray, open the eyes of our hearts so we can see, so we can know, so we can perceive, so we can sleep in the corner while you work for our good, so we can be at peace even when the world turns against us, so that we can learn to see the unseen Sense the unknown and discover the mysteries of an invisible world called the kingdom of God.